1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. Uh, First of all, I'll just go ahead and say apologies for the lateness of this particular episode. Um, I am in the middle of moving into my new apartment in Oklahoma City, so I have been on top of Thunder coverage. I have been basically moving stuff back and forth from my uh, parents' place in Norman. So it's just been, been a process, but it's getting there. It's starting to feel like a home, but... Again, sorry for everybody that was waiting for a podcast on Monday or Tuesday. Or hey, even, Brady. Even a post game. Yeah, what's up? One thing that Sooner Nation does not like is excuses. No hashtag excuses. No, hashtag no excuses. We got to get this podcast going. Yes, yes. No excuses he, from here on out. Hopefully, That's we'll, right. we'll get we'll get everything squared away. But uh, yeah, we're here. Get used to it. Everybody, I am joined by, as you just heard, Mr. John Hoover and Rufus Alexander. Rufus, how you doing? Doing all right, man. How you guys doing? Great. Enjoying life. Weather isn't bad. Weather's been feeling nice. We're going to have good, probably good weather this Saturday for OU's last home game against TCU. So I'm excited for it. Um, I guess because we didn't do a post-game show, um, we should talk a little bit about, I mean, it's Wednesday. The Baylor game has been talked about ad nauseum, but uh, I just want to get your thoughts. and We'll we'll breeze right through it before we get on to the uh, rest of the topics, but 25-point deficit, and I'll just say this before I start with, uh, I'll go ahead and start with Rufus. 25-point deficit, I'll admit it, for about a 22-minute period of time when halftime started, I gave up. I was at a watch party, and uh, I was with my dad, a bunch of our friends that we tailgate with. I gave up. I did not want to watch the rest of the the second half. I had seen this movie before, and I knew how it was probably going to end. Jalen Hurts was awful. The offense couldn't move. The defense looked like it had looked against Kansas State, second half against Iowa State. I gave up. Um, and long story short, at this watch party um, at my friend Dave's house, his son has an electric drum kit. My friend Matt, whose equipment that I'm using to record this podcast, plays drums. Dave has an electric guitar. Matt and I just basically played like Metallica tunes, Led Zeppelin tunes, during halftime and we kind of played into the second half and it became very apparent to me that I was a bad luck charm. So Matt and I played the entire second half because I just realized I can't watch this game because OU is playing well and it's because I'm not watching the game. So OU came back. You can, you can all thank me later. It's okay. Uh, thank Metallica. Cause we basically just played Metallica tunes the whole time. Um, but it 25 point deficit, largest comeback in school history. I didn't see one second of it live. Rufus thoughts. Um, I sat through and watched the whole thing. I was watching it burn in the beginning and I watched it all get <laughs> built back up in the second half. Um, I mean, it was a, an amazing comeback. It was a really, um, it, it showed a lot about Jalen Hurts, uh, as a player, um, because he, he had as, as bad as a half as you can have as he's had at, uh, as he's been at Oklahoma and the way he, he kept fighting and playing, uh, was really good, uh, defensively. Uh, for those guys, I mean, they were on the short side of the field the majority of the first half. And, you know, he's, if it was one mistake, they were kind of – Baylor was in the red zone um, pretty much pretty much the uh, 
entirety of the, the first half. So uh, both sides uh, made some adjustments at halftime, and they came back in the second half and um, did what they were supposed to do all game long. Um, Lincoln Riley did a, a good job of, re- of readjusting what he was supposed to do. He started he started using two backs, swinging a guy out, giving Jalen Hurts some easy reads to the flats, um, started doing a few more crossing routes when those guys were playing all the way back and they came with man and bought, pre- bought pressure. He gave uh, Jalen Hurts an easy out, an easy hot route for him to find. Jalen Hurts stayed in the pocket in the second half a lot better than he did the first half. The first half, it was like one read, tuck and run, and Baylor had guys in position to make plays, and when he forced it downfield, they had a guy that was there to make an interception, um, and they bought pressure at key times. I, I think Lincoln Riley's play calling really settled Jalen Hurts down in the second half and made it an easier game for him. And I think uh, Lee Morrison had, I think, one of the best halves for, of, a, of a wide receiver that I've seen in a while. Agreed. Uh, for a guy not really getting any catches, a guy getting like four or five big catches in big situations. I mean, he was he was amazing in the second half. But overall, team came together and played well. I can't really add anything to that. That's a fantastic breakdown. Other than Jalen Hurts in the first half was dazed and confused. Um, <laughs> what? Well, yeah. When, uh, when I mean, when he got going, he started showing Lee Morris and those receivers that he never throws to a whole lot of love. Oh, I see where we're going. Yeah. I would- and the um, the second half <laughs> for Baylor, it looked a lot like when the levee breaks. Oh, man, this is perfect. But the Sooners, yeah. when they got their playoff ranking on uh, last night, the Baylor win didn't do much for them. It was a heartbreaker. <laughs> I love it. Rufus, I hope you're up on your Led Zeppelin tunes because I yes, just feel I am. Yeah, we played a few of those during the second half. Uh, again, like my phone was right in front of me. I, I knew what was going on, and everybody cheering in the living room. I could tell OU was coming back, but again, I was like, I'm a bad luck charm. I, I need to sacrifice my viewing pleasure <laughs> for the betterment of the Oklahoma Sooners. So I did my job, but... There's no such thing. I just pulled another club. All I did was me. I was at my friend Brad McClure's house, his wife, his daughter Molly. We all sat there, and her husband, we sat there, and I just... Poured up another glass of Crown, a little bit bigger and bigger because <laughs> it kept on losing and turning the ball over. I was like, I'm going to need a bigger cup. Yeah, you uh, you went live on Periscope right after the game ended, Rufus. It, it, I could tell it looked like you were having a good time. I'll just say. Yeah, we were we were in, we were in a good mood. That's for sure. We were in a good. I mood. wonder. I wonder if Oklahoma had any communication breakdowns. There. Oh my goodness. Keep going, John. The entire the entire show just needs to be Led Zeppelin song titles. Just did. Throw- do you think maybe Alex Grinch felt like a fool in the rain? <laughs> in the first half, yeah. Like the, the it was amazing. Like you know, Rufus, you kind of touched on Jalen Hurts. I I don't think I've ever seen an OU football player look completely one way in the first half and then look completely the different way in the second half in the, in the positive direction. We've seen players have a good first half. We've seen the team have a good first half, not just this team, but OU teams of the past and then fail in the second half. It I, reminds me of the stock market of whenever your stock, when the, the opening bell rings and the stock just goes down and then by midday that sucker rallies all the way back up and then you're in a positive Kind of what it reminds me of. Yeah, and <laughs> pretty you, much. And you also mentioned Lee Morris. I mean, m- my mind goes directly to that third and three. I believe on OU's second drive after they had scored their opening drive, it might have been their first drive, but it was third and three. And 
they they run this timing route with Lee Morris crossing, uh, going to the far side of the field towards the boundary. Jalen Hurts stands in the pocket, steps up into the pocket, feels the pressure, and throws a perfect pass that Lee Morris has to catch with his fingertips. I mean, that that is the most pristine pass that I think I've seen Jalen Hurts throw his entire career at OU. Um, it, it was just it was a really good it was a really good seven <laughs> route. He did mm-hmm. throw a really good seven route, but he's always been able to throw that seven route. He's just he don't sit in the pocket to throw it. Yeah, exactly. It was just like not just the throw itself, but just the uh, ability to be aware of the pass rush, to step up into the pocket, and to trust the play. I mean, he could have very easily tried to pick it up with his legs, and I think in the first half, that's probably what we um, probably would have what uh, what yeah. would have happened. So you saw, and there was another play in there that he did the same thing where he got bumped and he made the throw within the pocket. It was another really good pass, the, the, the correct read and everything, and it kind of the pocket kind of came right on his lap a little bit, but he yep. took the bump and made a good throw on the tip of his toes, and it was a, a – I mean, it was like, why haven't you been doing this, dude? You could have been doing these things. He could help Swenson out a lot of times by stepping into the pocket instead of evading to the right all the time yeah. and kind of when the rush goes wide, step up. That's what was really good about – Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray um, and I hate to keep saying it about those guys but that's kind of what you have is they would help out the offensive line that would get beat by making little subtle movements in the pocket by stepping up that first year that Baker was here he would always escape and evade the pocket and then as he got better the later in the year and then the following year he would step up in the pocket move move forward instead of just evading every time yeah Rufus um Talking to Jalen Hurts on Monday when I asked him about the the up and down nature of the last three games where not just, you know, oh, they had a bad stretch or, oh, they, they were really good during this couple of minutes. No, they look like the best team in the country for a stretch, and then they look like the worst team in the country for a stretch. So I asked him about that, and I said, uh, you know, how do you account for that? And he, and he said, I think we all have to acknowledge the growth that has taken place. And I think he's talking about the team in general. But I think also maybe, you know, read between the lines, I think he's talking about himself where what you're saying is right. He's stepping up in the pocket now. He's slide-stepping in the pocket now. He's instead of just saying, oh, crap, there's somebody next to me. I got to run. He's hanging on to the football a little bit longer and staying with that read progression. So we're seeing yeah. – I wonder I wonder what, what he would be doing. Listen, if he had gone to Oklahoma out of high school, you know, he wouldn't have a national championship probably. But Ugh. imagine his career progression – um, you know, he'd if he had gotten coached from Lincoln Riley for all four years, he'd be a top guy. He'll be one of those guys that be talking about as one of the top quarterbacks. And I mean, I'm um, in the country, but you also look at what Jalen Hurts after that game speaks a lot to what Jalen Hurts was saying, because a lot of times you would hear Jalen Hurts talk and it was always about, you know, I need to do this for this team and I need to be a better person for this team. I need to control the temple of the team. I need to be the leader for the team. And at the end of that Baylor game, he was all, there was a lot of we's in that. We grew together and we did better as a team. We played better. I put us in a hole and we got out of it. Um, I think like, and even as a, like I said, as a quarterback, if you go back and watch the first half of that game and the second half, he looked more like a quarterback who's an athlete um in the uh, in the game instead of as an athlete who plays quarterback who can throw it every now and then he looked more like a, a quarterback in that second half and if, out of any game that i've seen him play this year yep 
Definitely. He done some what, what did you think of, uh, and I asked Lincoln this after the game, um, I had an NFL scout come up to me in the press box and say, Lincoln's figured it out. He's figured out the Baylor defense. And I said, I said, yeah. I said, can you kind of explain what you mean? He said, he's throwing crossing routes. He's throwing out routes. He's taking, he, he's a, a, taking advantage of what the Baylor defense has given him this half. And I said, isn't that the nature of a prevent defense, though? And he said, yeah, pretty much. But he said, what you're seeing out of out of Lincoln and, and now Jalen is a realization that those guys are going to play prevent defense, that they are going to give us six, eight, ten-yard routes. And that instead of trying to force something down the field against the two deep safeties, they took what, what they were giving them, and it was chip away, chip away, chip away. How about that for patience? and a recognition well, on the part of Lincoln Riley and, and Jalen Hurts. It's the same thing Iowa State did to them. Whenever they play against Iowa State, that's a, almost the exact identical defense that Iowa State puts out there. And they make you earn it all the way up and down the field. This is the same thing K-State did to them. Yeah. So, I mean, it took them three weeks to figure out, hey, these teams are just playing back on us and just letting us get to the end zone. I mean, I, I mean we've seen that for a while now. We've seen it three weeks Right now, we've just seen it three weeks in a row. Teams doing the exact same thing. Well, if we blitz, they got guys like C.D. Lamb and those guys, and once they make one person miss, they're out of the gate. So what we're going to do is we're going to play back now. We're going to allow Jalen Hurts to throw in coverage, and we're going to rally to Jalen Hurts, and we're going to put a hat on him. Hopefully he fumbles or do something at some certain point in time, and then we're going to blitz on occasion so it kind of confuses him. I mean, the past, the past three teams did this exact same thing, and I'm I'm amazed that it took Lincoln Riley three weeks to figure that out, personally. And, you know, like switching sides to the defensive side of the ball before we wrap a bow on the Baylor game and move forward, guys. Um, Rufus, I actually got a chance to listen to you on Dylan and Todd uh, earlier this morning, and I thought you, you said it really well because everyone's talking about Jalen Hurts. I mean, deservedly so. The offense being able to score a down 25 at one point, come back and eventually win the football game, you know, they deserve all the praise. The defense, I mean, in addition to getting those turnovers, yes, the turnovers are very important, and especially when you're down 25, you've got to turn the football over to give yourself a chance to win a football game, of course. But just the defense getting off the field. You know, they forced two three-and-outs in the uh, third quarter. That was all Baylor had. Um, well, they forced the, the, the fumble on Baylor's first play, and then they had two more drives, both three-and-out. And it really started off with the defensive line, particularly Ronnie Perkins, uh, sacking Charlie Brewer and putting Baylor in a position to play behind the chains. You can do that. You're going to be able to put yourself into a good position to where you don't even necessarily need to, I guess, lean on we've got to create turnovers. Because if you're just forcing your opponent to play behind the chains, you've already won that battle more times than not. And if you give your offense more opportunities, even if it's at the result of a punt, I mean, you've got to like your you got to like your chances if you've got Lincoln Riley, Jalen Hurts, um, that offense uh, humming at what it was able to do in the second half, even without C.D. Lamb. But I guess Rufus, I mean, was there anything particular that you saw um, from the first half going into the second half that the defense was able to do outside of just maybe? And you've kind of already mentioned it. Um, the the uh, where Baylor would start on offense in the first half, it seemed like they were always hovering around midfield, and it's it's hard to do when you're on the road against a, a quality opponent. Second half, it was a different story, but was there anything particular that you were able to see? Well, one, from the first half, I mean, it seems like the defense was on the field the whole entire time, so they were able to kind of wear them down and play at a little different tempo and, and do some things that, 
you know, kind of catch you off guard. You're not you're not able to kind of catch your breath. I mean, uh, Jalen Hurts had two turnovers in the first half, kind of uncharacteristic of himself, and one of the turnovers dang near get returned for a touchdown. Such and a you're bad throw, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you're playing, you know, he's pretty much almost close to spotting 14 in that one. Uh, and then Baylor drives down and has a good drive, and you know, they, they score some touchdown. They got some players. They undefeated for a reason. They stayed in close games. So, and the atmosphere was was probably as insane as you can think of. They were probably really loud, really crazy starting off that game. So you kind of feel like you're you're just in a tunnel surrounded by a lot of people. And you're trying to kind of get of it and quieten the noise so you can settle down. In the second half, they were able to do that. They were able to kind of clear their minds and play uh, a little bit more free because, I mean, you're down 25 points. I mean, what else can you do? I mean, you've got to play as loose as possible. And they were able to to turn them over. But the thing is they played complementary football. The offense started rolling. Well, what you can't have if the offense starts rolling is Baylor puts on a 9-10 to play drive. And that gets their defense settled back down. And so that gets their their defense that give Baylor's opportunity, defense an opportunity to settle back into the game. That's not what happened. The defense goes three and out. They have to punt it right back. The defense their defense doesn't get a tra- a chance to adjust, think, and get get their minds and get back settled in. And then Oklahoma drives down the field. Then what happens? You get another tur- you get another turnover. Oh my gosh, we got to get right back on the field. And this deep this offense is really rolling. What the hell do we do? Your head starts to spin. And then you get back on the field. It's three and out. And now the doubt starts to creep into your head about, oh, my gosh, we're about to blow this. And our offense can't really do anything. And you got to make a play on defense. And they couldn't. And they made a play in the red zone. And what did Oklahoma defense do? They go back out there and they make another play, another three and out. So they have to punt, punt it. And Oklahoma's offense get a sharp feel again. Yep. And then to seal the game off, they intercept the ball. I mean, the defense play as, as near perfect of a half as that you can have in in football being down 25 points. Yeah. Their offense got rolling, and their defense complemented it very well by helping them get out of that hole, by make, keeping Baylor's defense reeling and never letting them catch their breath, pretty much what Baylor was doing to the Oklahoma defense in the first mm-hmm. half. And- Rufus, I'm going to th- take you back real quick, um, and, and I'll say this. I'm sure – there have been uh, other games that I'm just not thinking of since this game that I'm getting ready to reference. But in terms of complementary football, offense complementing the defense and special teams doing its job, I don't know that I've seen a better stretch than than that Baylor second half since. And I'm not I, – I, again, I'm going into the memory banks here. The 2004 Big 12 championship game up in Kansas City against Colorado. Remember that one? Remember how you guys just absolutely dominated them on all sides of the ball? That was yeah. a nine. That was a nine or ten win Colorado team. They were good, and you guys just embarrassed them. And I, that's the way that this game, to me, played out in the second half. When you consider Oklahoma ran 58 offensive plays, and Baylor ran 16. And the part of the problem was with that that disparity of of uh, you know 24 out of 30 minutes in the second half. Oklahoma had the football. Part of the problem was for Baylor, they had a turnover, a five second dr- touchdown drive, followed by another turnover and a seven second touchdown drive. Now all of us would like to have a pick six or a scoop and score or a one play touchdown drive, but you're cra- you're kidding yourself if you think that didn't have an effect on the Baylor defense. In the second half, those guys 
were absolutely gassed. I asked Lincoln Riley about it on Monday, and he said, yeah, I think both teams were tired. Sometimes you see that, but he said, I didn't feel that this game. I disagreed that, you know, politely disagreed that uh, I thought Baylor was absolutely waxed. They, oh. they they were they were gone. They, were they tired. had no they, chance of stopping those last two drives. Yeah, he didn't. I mean, I don't think he had a good feel of the game being in the game. Like watching it on TV, you can see absolutely. Baylor was absolute number three was all over the field by the middle of that by the middle of the third quarter, fourth quarter. That guy was missing tackles in the middle mm-hmm. of the field that he was making earlier. He had a little pop on every every tackle that he made. He would give an extra push or shove. Then he goes is like on some kind of just laissez faire kind of tackle out of, on out of bounds, and he c- gets up like he's in pain and his arms hurt and all that stuff. They physically wore Baylor down on offense, and I'm telling you, it it had a lot, it had a lot to do with the defense and how they played and played good complementary football by keeping that defense on the field and not letting them get long breaks on the sideline and Baylor not being able to put together a long drive to get them a break. And Alex Grinch has talked a lot about getting guys less reps and, you know, getting other guys in the on the field to to to, you know, reduce the number of reps that, that the starters and the frontline players are getting. Listen to this. Oklahoma's last four offensive possessions. I should say last five. Uh, 14 plays, 75 yards, almost six minutes. 12 plays, 74 yards, almost six minutes. 13 plays, 90 yards, five minutes, 13 plays, 77 yards, six minutes, and then the field goal drive, nine plays, 59 yards, two and a half minutes. They owned that possession because the defense was able to get off the field because the Baylor and and offense did so good because the Baylor defense had nothing left physically. Those those little two-play, one-play touchdown drives were just, they just sapped those guys. I mean, like I said, we'd all love to have those on our team, no matter what team we're, we're rooting for or playing for. But they they do take a toll. No, it's it's just incredible. Like that's what you want if you're thinking about the Oklahoma Sooners. That's that's what we saw for the first, for the most part, for the first seven games of the season, where the defense was playing uh, complimentary football and at times really helping the uh, the offense kind of chug along when the offense would kind of stumble. I mean, everybody will look back to the Texas game without the defense playing like they did that day. I mean, Texas probably could have won because Jalen Hurts and the offense were so pedestrian in the first half, and it really took a like a godlike effort from Ceedee Lamb. And you know, we haven't even talked about Ceedee Lamb, guys. So I guess kind of moving forward, uh, Lincoln Riley said um, to you, John or John Hoover, and the media at the Monday press conference that uh, it's not a certain that he's out for Saturday night against TCU. It's not a certain that he will play. Oh man. <laughs> it's it's oh, funny. Gamesmanship. It's gamesmanship, but it, it was funny. So that story, the information uh, about C.D. Lamb not playing or playing Saturday, it seemed like it changed four to five times before kickoff. And John, I had actually sent you a text a few hours before the game about, yeah, mm-hmm. um, I don't think C.D. Lamb is playing from what I can hear. And that changed a few times. And I don't know if you guys watched the uh, Kirk Herbstreit, uh, Chris Fowler, like IG video um, that they do following every Saturday night game that they call. It's a little bit more uncensored. It's a little bit more off the cuff. But Chris yeah. Fowler was pissed off about OU basically <laughs> lying to their face like, oh, yeah, CD's going to play. Don't worry about it. Maybe that's why the selection committee uh, stuffed OU in the face this week because they're playing, they're playing games with their most important player. Yeah, I mean, and I thought he was going to play too. I mean, he was out there catching 
running around, had his. You I mean he was suited up? Yeah, it. it I, I guess warm-up. everybody like when it was said said that it was a medical issue. I think people would point to the previous week when uh, he caught that punt and the Iowa yeah, State he, player hit him in the head, and they eventually yeah. waved off the targeting call for it. Um, but if if he had a concussion, I I don't think that he's going to be you know suited up. Going th- like yeah. just for a, from a gamesmanship angle, I I don't. It doesn't Not seem like coaching. Yeah. Not necessarily, Brady. The the way concussion yeah. protocol works is you you once you're entered in the protocol, you have a step process that you go through. Um, if you can, uh, if you're if you're pain free, uh, you know you don't have headaches and you don't have dizzy or anything like that. Then you advance to the next step, and the mm-hmm. next step might be light jogging. Um, you know, uh, maybe maybe the next step after that is some is some um, moderate sprints and, and a little bit of weightlifting. Maybe bicycling. See see how you do. That might have been the time in his concussion protocol recovery that dictated that he comes out and does a little sprints. Gets you know no contact, but but you come out and you do full work sprints. And the contact part comes you know but you build up and you build up and you build up. So that's typically how these. Uh, athletic trainers and medical staffs are handling concussion protocol. So that might have just been his day to, to roll out there and do some sprints. Yeah, I mean, and, it's, and you know, it goes it goes back to say, I mean, he may, I mean, barring any setback, he goes in practice and get dinged in the head and then it, you know, kind of resets everything. Then, you know, he probably couldn't play. But for the most part, I mean, you go out there, you catch some balls, see if he's sensitive, you, you get him to the sideline, are you sensitive to the lights in here? How's your head feeling? When you move, do you feel like your brain's moving around in your head, or do you feel hollow head whenever you're running and stuff? And feels like you're running in, in like you're running and you, your head's like waterlogged. Do you feel that way whenever you're out there on the field moving around and all that stuff? Because if you feel that way and you feel the steps whenever you're running, that's still that the brain is not yeah. fully healed whenever you're running and all that stuff, whenever you're moving and all that. So that's kind of you know you go through that kind of protocol of doing things so this that's that's just formality and you can just he's out there so they don't get like a a beat on what they're doing and make some adjustments before the game so you have to make adjustments in game so that's i think that was like like john said that's just pretty much normal yeah and but having said all this i mean i just want to get the beat from from you guys are we all going to be shocked if cd land doesn't play saturday night no no play I really think he'll play. I think the the gamesmanship part is the whole, you know, what you, what you said earlier. Yeah, we're not really sure. It's definitely not definite, and it's definitely not not definite. You know, it's like, <laughs> hello, Rumsfeld. We don't know what we don't know because it's unknown. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're playing around with that. I think he'll be fine. Um, what what I what I wonder, and maybe you guys you guys are in Norman and you hear more about this than than I would. Um, although I'm, I guess I'm the one bringing it up, so maybe I did hear it. Uh, did he get in trouble for something? You know, I heard the same thing. And I'm just a fan, so I'm not a media guy by any means, so I'll just go ahead and say what I've heard. Um, I've got a buddy who is a... Um, well, I, I, I'll i just say I've got a buddy that works around Campus Corner kind of frequently. I heard, uh, and this is just a rumor, it's like it's nothing substantial, but C.D. Lamb was involved in a fight, and he was basically suspended the entire week and didn't practice as a result. And that his uh, absence in the Baylor game was as a result of a team-sanctioned suspension. Um, Conspiracy yeah. theories are flying now. I'm going to say no on that one. I got 
from the person that's with the team all the time in meetings with the team that he had a concussion. It's just interesting. Uh, it's just interesting when rumors fly. It's um, could Rufus could he have gotten a concussion from fighting? I may have got a concussion from fighting, <laughs> but I know the See, young both, man. Both had, could be he true. Was, he was a bit concussed after that. The shot he took in at Iowa State really kind of he he had some headaches after that one. Did he yeah, did I, he I fumble that. after that hit or did he fumble before that hit? I can't remember the sequence of events. I don't remember. Came, no, the fumble came really really late. Yeah. So it all makes sense now yeah. if that's where the concussion occurred. If he does have a concussion, so uh, CD Lamb doesn't doesn't strike me as a person that would go out and get in a fight on campus corner. No, neither do you, Rufus. But um, having you've told the story on the radio, didn't you get? Weren't you involved in a campus corner altercation? Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. It's just campus corner is just I weird. Think- and it's full of idiots. I didn't get suspended that day, and I was stopping a fight, actually. So, yeah, see, no, I was not fighting. So you can, I didn't get suspended, though. And, I mean, everybody came and said, well, no, he wasn't fighting. He was stopping his friend from fighting. So, it's kind of how that one ended. <laughs> Campus Corner is full of idiots sometimes. Uh, real quick, John, like you've covered, you know, you're in your third year covering Lincoln Riley as the head coach of, at OU. How does he compare to Bob Stoops when it concerns player injury? Because a player could get hurt Saturday evening. He'll say at, at the post-game presser, oh, yeah, he's fine, no, no need to worry. And then come Monday, no, he's dead. <laughs> that, that was always the thing with Bob. Like If he would say one thing, it's like, okay, ex- expect the worst on Monday when he talks yeah. at his press conference. I mean, what's Lincoln Riley been like, in your opinion, in terms of his transparency with injury or even suspension? Because, I mean, this whole C.D. Lamb thing was just how it unfolded is kind of weird. But if it is kind of a concussion thing and the step-by-step process that you guys described, I guess that kind of that fits. It's just an incredibly unique situation that I guess we haven't really experienced that much with a player of his caliber. Yeah, well, first of all, um, you know, Bob got there and started talking about injuries like every football coach did years before anybody knew what HIPAA was. And then when HIPAA came along, Bob had been entrenched enough in his coaching career that he didn't care. You know, it didn't buy, he, he wasn't going to go out and broadcast, hey, so-and-so's hurt. But if someone was out for the season, he would do what Lincoln did a couple of, day, couple of weeks ago and start his press conference with, you know, so-and-so is out for the season now, open for questions. Um, so Bob was a lot less, I guess, um, covert, a lot less secretive. You know, we're talking Lincoln got his training from the KGB kind of <laughs> in terms of keeping it from, you know, keeping state secrets out of the public eye. Uh, so he's really good at that. But um, I think Lincoln has maybe started to come around. You know, if you think about it, just two weeks ago, we had the announcement of two season-ending uh, season-ending injuries. He didn't clarify me, although we're pretty sure that's what both of them are. And he doesn't. He hasn't typically done that. So maybe he's kind of coming around to, or or people are talking to him. People who have been there for a long time. And I don't know if this person is is, if I'm accurately portraying this. But for instance, Kenny Mossman might be someone who talks to Lincoln and says it would be beneficial for you and for the kids and for the media and for you know wouldn't wouldn't hurt anything if you said these guys are out for the season with a knee injury. That way you're not hiding anything. Doesn't come across as you know people are calling you a liar or you're trying to cover up anything, and and maybe Lincoln has come around to that kind of thinking that okay if it's if it's definitely done I'll go ahead and announce it, 
if there's any kind of way that I can get a competitive advantage for this week's opponent, then I'll wait to announce it. I think he's I think he's kind of skating that line still. Yeah, and kind of like I guess Grant Calcaterra falls between both those categories of uh He's obviously dealing with some type of concussion or a number of concussions because that's that's what it seems like to me. Hasn't played since what the uh, Kansas was, game. Kansas game, yeah, because it was the week before yeah. Texas. That was the first time that he had missed a game. Um, that's, I told you my theory on that. I don't that think he's, so. He's uh, he's holding out. Uh, he's decided that his next concussion is going to be in the NFL. He he's basically this is my theory. I don't have confirmation. I don't have. His family or anything that was a that was our news uh, sounder yeah. right there. Apparently, <laughs> um, he uh, I think that Grant has realized, dude, I can make a lot of money in the NFL. I need to go get paid. If I'm taking hits to the head, I need to go get paid for it. That would make sense. That I would. Mean, make, I would. I'm not would, criticizing him for it. I'm saying no. that makes perfect sense. Get money. Go get money. You're playing a blood sport. You might as well get paid for it. If you can't get paid for it in college, just if you're good enough. I mean, more power to you. Um, gentlemen, let's let's bitch about the college football committee, and it really has nothing to do with Oklahoma because I'll just I'll say this right off the bat before I dive right in. I don't think Oklahoma is a top four caliber team, and when I say that, I mean if they're at number four, I do not think that they could beat LSU. I do not think that they could beat Ohio State. So maybe they are a top four team at the end of the day in terms of their talent and their potential. But in a hypothetical matchup, I would not pick Oklahoma against either one of those two two teams. So what I'm about to do is not I'm not bitching about, well, oh, you should be higher because of X, Y, and Z. This is this is what pisses me off. So the rankings come out. Baylor drops one spot to fourteen. And which is like, okay, that's kind of surprising considering that they didn't get respect at all in the first place, and then they lose their first game against a really good opponent, you think okay, they're probably going to Skyfall. Well, they didn't, and maybe it's because they look so so good in the first half. Maybe it's because, I don't know, maybe they, the committee just doesn't care. And then the uh, committee chair guy, whose name I can't remember, uh, comes on. Rob Mullins. Yeah, Rob Mullins comes on, and he specifically asked, uh, Reese Davis specifically asked about Baylor, and all he does is just say, yeah, their non-conference schedule is trash. It was trash. Here we go. The two teams that are ahead of OU and Baylor that each have one loss, Oregon and Utah, and those are pretty much the monkey wrench that stand in between Oklahoma in terms of them potentially making the college football playoff if they went out and win the Big 12 championship against probably Baylor again. Oregon and Utah have played, their non-conference schedule has been against BYU, Northern Illinois, Idaho State, Auburn, Nevada, and Montana. The best resume builder out of those six games for either team is a loss to Auburn, who is right now seven and three and is probably going to be seven and four if they lose the Iron Bowl. The best win between those six games is BYU, who's six and four, who outside of a road win um, against a bad, bad Tennessee team and a win against USC at home in Provo. I mean, they're just an average a below average BYU team I mean it's a good scheduled game but it to me guys like I I just don't like what this committee is doing because at the end of the day I feel like the committee is just going we just think that team x is better than team y because of Mm -hmm. reasons and to me 
what the hell are we playing football for? That that to me is so silly. Well, is, is Baylor's non conference well, schedule? Everybody complained about the freaking BCS computer. Not me. I love the BCS. Not me. I did too. They need the computers to be in there and get the top four teams. Period. That's how it needs to be done. It does not. They don't need a voting situation because all it is now they've done turn it into this TV spectacle. Now, now yeah. it's a money grab. Now. Because everybody's sitting by their TVs, tuning in to t- to to let to see the thing drop and all that stuff, and and now you get to go and look at all these voices and and like, hey, why did you pick this guy or what is it? Why why this team or why that team? Let get the computers and they do it by the number system, and you have the laws of average, and boom, you go ahead and you make a decision. But the way they're doing it right now, I think it does a disservice to the whole entire system because there's no way you have these SEC teams that are way up there and saying, well, Georgia, who had a terrible loss to South Carolina, had a close win against uh, a Notre Dame. I mean, that team's not that – they're not that good of a team. They're not a great team. You, you Still, you look at Auburn. Auburn lost the games that they've lost, but Auburn's not a good offensive team. They not struggle. at all. And any team that has any kind of offense is going to, and in the long run, is going to beat Auburn. And so, again, I, I, I still you look at it, and he just it leaves you to wonder right now because the SEC are pretty much beating on each other of the lesser teams, and they just they just rank their lesser teams higher. And Texas A and M plays against Clemson. Clemson is not the team they were last year. Clemson has had their struggles, and they lost to Clemson by 14. And people trying to make a big deal at, well, Clemson, uh, Texas A&M is the only team that's been close to, really close to Clemson. Well, look at look who the hell Clemson's played. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. the, S, the SEC bias that is in this, it is absolutely crazy to me. And I would have more Big Ten teams up there because the Big Ten has been the more solid league anyway. Here's what's wrong. Here's at the very heart of it. Here's what's wrong with the playoff ranking system that we have. Uh, two weeks ago, Penn State beats Minnesota. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. Minnesota, Minnesota, beats, Minnesota Penn. beats Penn State, and we all saw and, that with our two, eyes. And they're both right. We all watched it. They're both nine and one. Okay. Rankings come out yesterday. Penn State is two spots ahead of Minnesota, and the reason is, well, Penn State's played a harder schedule. Penn State has more quality wins. Penn State, Penn State has a, uh, they have more, you know, they don't say this, of course, but Penn State has more guys that are going to play in the NFL. Penn State yep. has more five-star recruits. Yep. Penn State's a better football team. It's if bullshit. Vegas was laying a line right now, that Penn State would be favored. If Vegas said, if Penn State and Minnesota played eight to- ten, ten times, Penn State would win ten of them. Guys, Minnesota and Penn State played, and Minnesota won the freaking game. Do not tell me that Penn State is better than Minnesota when Minnesota played the game and had game control. I can't understand this. This is the stupidest argument we've seen from the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible argument. I, I, hate the, I hate the argument. That's why I say you have to get the human element out of it because as a, you can go in there and you can watch TV, you can see ESPN tell you about all these teams that are this and that or that. I mean, all of a sudden now, Minnesota, what they've done doesn't mean anything, even though they're playing some of the exact same teams that uh, that Penn State is playing. Now Penn State's schedule is harder right now. I mean, Penn State Penn State may have had a one harder out 
out of conference game, but I mean they're playing against pretty much the same people. Yeah, and it, it, to me, it's just it's so silly that it comes kind of it, what John just said. Penn State has more five star recruits. Penn State just looks better. I mean. Minnesota, it's not like they lost to a trash team. They lost to Iowa on the road. And guess what? It seems like every single year, whatever good Big Ten team you know, rises to the top, they typically lose at Iowa. Like Michigan did a few years ago on that field goal. I, I have a it, – it's just it, – it's annoying to me that that's what it comes down to. And Joel Klatt, who I love on uh, um, Fox Sports 1, uh, does a fantastic job, job covering college football. Every week he'll release his top ten – Last Monday, not this previous Monday, but last week, um, he went on this this awesome rant about how he hates what the committee is doing and what we're kind of getting into years down the road with what the committee is able to do and get away with. We're going to devalue the college football season, a uh, regular season, which is, I think, I, I don't want that to happen. But he basically said it this way on concerning Baylor. If Baylor had had the preseason hype that Nebraska had, they would have been a top five team, no question. And to me, it's so silly that preseason rankings matter. I got in an argument with somebody on Twitter about that because their whole argument was the college football committee doesn't have preseason rankings. They're human beings, and they're influenced by it. They're influenced by sure. they're influenced by five stars. They're influenced by NFL talent. They're influenced by the eye test. And to no, me, I don't think it's not about the eye test. It's all about it's all about the helmet. It has nothing to do with eye that tests has, or anything. That if has USC, a lot to do with it. If USC gets four or five five-star players and it's USC, is going to be like, all right, USC is back and they're going to be this. Same thing with – that's why Texas gets the hype every year. If you look at college football and next year comes around, it doesn't matter that UCF had this undefeated season or whatever, what they've done. They were still kind of in the 20s or 15, right, until UCF lost. Yeah. But the same teams that in the college football season this year where they're at, they'll end up in the top. And then you're going to see the, the, the usual suspects that finish off the year at least somewhere near it or had an okay bowl game, did well in the bowl game. But then they're going to look at, well, they got this player coming back or such and such. And no matter how much they struggled, they're still going to put those teams up there. That's why you should never do a ranking, a preseason ranking. You have to come after Game four or five, the fourth game of the season, that's almost like a, a quarter way mark, and you can just go ahead and say, "All right, these teams, we can start ranking everybody." Look at look at Clemson. Clemson, you would have never put Clemson in a, as a top ten team after you saw their first few games. You wouldn't put Alabama as a top ten. Yeah. You may put them at a ten after you saw the way they played against Duke and struggling in the first half, and they wasn't the same team they were the year before. Yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to pin down when when somebody values a victory over a ranked opponent when they were ranked at the time, or if they don't consider it a ranked opponent if they have since fallen off the face of the earth like Texas A&M or Texas, because it seems like... But te- Auburn, it, go ahead. For me, Auburn would have been like a, a top a top team, because they, uh, they beat Oregon. I mean, Auburn would have been a top team because they beat Oregon. It's a good win, and, yes. Yeah, a very, a really, really good win. Good quarterback, good opponent, one of the best, considered one of the best offensive lines in the in the country. Wisconsin would have been a number one or two team in the country the way they were playing. Arizona State would have been up there because they beat Michigan, Michigan State in in Lansing, Michigan. But I mean, like John, I bitched, I bitched about this to you two weeks ago, going into the Iowa State game. 
like my whole thing was let's assume Baylor's undefeated still going into the OU game. If OU beats them, they will skyfall. That didn't happen. But the way that the committee has um, treated Baylor, if they would have just kept scoring in the second half and won, I don't know, by like 17 points over OU, I don't think Baylor jumps that far into the top 10 still. I think the committee would have just seen, okay, well, Oklahoma clearly isn't that good. Their defense mm-hmm. is still a problem. And so Baylor, you know, you're just Baylor. You don't have a lot of NFL talent. You're undefeated in a conference that we think is the worst, even though the Big 12 is so much better than the Pac-12. It's not even funny. It's such a stupid argument. Um, they would have just maybe been – they probably would have just switched with, with Oklahoma. And that, to me, is just – if that doesn't worry you, that a team from a Power 5 school that is undefeated – in mid-November, can't sniff the top 10 over a bunch of one-loss teams, over a bunch of teams that have more NFL talent, yes, but all they've done is beat Texas A&M because they were ranked at the time. That, to me, is so stupid. This committee is a farce. I- I've never yeah. liked the committee. Well, it the has process be- is broken. It has when benefited you, you o- see- I was going to say, it's benefited Oklahoma in the past, yes, but I- I'm sorry, I just don't like where it's going. Yeah, when you see that what what I was talking about earlier, Penn State, Minnesota, you see that, that I mean that tells you right there the process is broken when they they played each other. I mean it's like what's the point of playing the game if you're not going to count who actually won the game? Um, so Oklahoma has now two victories over top twenty five teams. Yeah, okay? Bay- Baylor and now Iowa State. Last week they had three. But Texas and Kansas State lose and fall out of the rankings, so this week it's only two. Iowa State jumps in, so it's two. You know who has less than two? Alabama has zero top 25 wins. Utah has zero top 25 wins. And Oregon, only because USC and their helmet logo got in as the the nation's best four-loss team at number 23, Oregon, whose athletic director is the chairman of the council, of the, uh, the the playoff committee, Oregon now has one victory over a, a ranked AP uh, a, a college football playoff top twenty-five team. So and it's USC who minute. just who, and it's USC who just eked their way into the their, what they're twenty-three. Yeah, twenty-three. USC mm-hmm. sucks. With four losses. Yeah, the USC's not any good at all. They're on their third quarterback, who by the way beat Utah, right? So um, all these things kind of go together, and all these these three teams that I just named, those are the three teams with one loss, them and Georgia that are above Oklahoma that really haven't done anything else. I mean, Georgia at least has beaten some people. Alabama, Utah, and Oregon, they haven't beaten anybody. And, and I, you know, here, here Oklahoma beat two teams that were in the top 25 last week. They've beaten two teams that are in the top 25 this week. Um, I don't know, man. I'm not sitting here saying Oklahoma deserves this or that because they lost a November game to a team that now has four losses. So, you, you know, you have to couch what they did their performance at Kansas state with what they deserve. But I'm just saying they've, they've done more. uh, If we're counting a 14 week regular season, they've done more at this point than anybody, than any of those three teams in front of them. I mean, yeah, like, like, like I said, I I don't think OU is a top four team in, in regard, like if you're going to compare them to LSU, Ohio state, Clemson. Yeah. Like Clemson has, they're not the same team as they were last year, but I, I don't think I would pick OU in a hypothetical matchup against Clemson, but if you're going to compare Oklahoma to Oregon, Utah, Penn State, Minnesota, Baylor, I mean, 
I feel like everybody would pick Oklahoma except maybe against Oregon because they're flashy. They've got a nice quarterback and they're feasting on a bunch of bad Pac-12 teams and running up the score. So their game control, which is a stupid ass metric, that is so (laughs) dumb to me, um, looks better than Oklahoma's. But um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Minnesota, like really quick. I mean, they go on the like I said, they go on the road and lose to number nineteen Iowa. If they had gone on the road and lost to Illinois, then sure, go ahead and put Penn State over them because clearly Minnesota, they feasted on a week schedule. They played their first big game at home and did basically what Baylor was supposed to do and win that game. And then they basically look like what, probably what they are. It balances out. They they lose to a bad team on the road. No, they lost to a, 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 a average, a solid team on the road in a tough environment. It, it's, Everybody, every, most people have struggled in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mo- Iowa has a good defense. Iowa just has no offense. Their offense is pretty terrible. But every most teams have struggled with Iowa because their defense is solid, and that's what Minnesota played against a very solid Iowa defense. Here's where uh, here's where Oklahoma is in the in the playoff rankings right now. Um, the song remains the same for Oklahoma. <laughs> Here we go. Because because two weeks ago they were ranked num- number nine. And they beat a ranked team, and they fell a spot. And this week, they're ranked number 10, and they beat a ranked team on the road, and they climbed a spot. So they have beaten two ranked teams now, and they have not moved in the in the rankings at all. So, yeah, song remains the same. Yeah, and especially if Oklahoma State beats West Virginia on the road, um, I mean, West Virginia is not any good, of course. We all know that. But it, it's still tough to go into Morgantown, especially Oklahoma State, who I, I don't know what Spencer Sanders' status is. I mean, have you guys heard anything about him? Uh, dinged his finger twice, and they took him out as a precaution. Uh, I heard on the morning show today that it is not a wrist injury, so just kind of a bruise, apparently. Yeah. So if Oklahoma State wins that game and Oklahoma takes care of business against TCU, Oklahoma will have an opportunity to have another top 25 win. And Oklahoma State could very well be, you know, maybe in the top 19 at that point. Maybe uh, if, depending on some teams that are going – and some teams are going to lose. Um, so Oklahoma State, they should be able to jump up in the rankings. And then if Oklahoma takes care of business against Bedlam, they will have another shot um, to – I mean, they've already beaten Baylor. They'll probably more than likely have to play them again. Um, like we'll talk about TC for just a few minutes, guys. But just really quick, Rufus, in a hypothetical matchup against Baylor in the Big Twelve title game, I mean, are, are you at all? If you know if they're playing OU, are you at all g- concerned about that matchup at all, or do you think that OU just beat them in such a fashion that no, like they'll have all the confidence in the world that they'll just go out there and take care of business? I think in the second, re- I think in the second rematch, and the way the second half went, um. OU kind of did some things that pretty much negated what Baylor was doing defensively and, and it kept their offense on the field. And offensively, Baylor's, Baylor have their struggles on offense. Once you make a few stops as well, uh, Brewer does some good things. But I think Oklahoma handles them a little bit easier in the second in the rematch. John? Um, you know, neutral site, you know, you're not going to have 50,000 50, Baylor fans there screaming their heads off. Um, I think Oklahoma would handle it probably a little better. Oklahoma would probably go into that game with a little more confidence. Um, we'll see. It's a couple of weeks away. They'll probably have C.D. Lamb. Probably have C.D. Lamb. Yeah. You know what's interesting is a friend of mine 
we were talking before the game when I got your, your phone call about CD. And I told him, I said, looks like CD Lamb might not play. And he said, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for the OU offense. I said, what do you mean? And he goes, it's going to force Jalen to, to get out of his comfort zone a little bit and get the football to other players. And if I'll be damned if that's not exactly what happened. Uh, it took him a little while to do it. But I think Jalen grew as a quarterback, realizing my guy's not here anymore. I'm going to have to find somebody else. So yeah, and it's, may, it, maybe he maybe he has that now in his arsenal, you know, the trust in Lee Morris. Although he said, I don't know if I buy it completely, but he said, I trust all those guys. Mm, okay, do you really? <laughs> uh, Austin Stogner near the goal line, you trust him all year because it's the first time we've seen it. Um, Lee Morris, seven times. It's the first time we've seen it. So Charles we'll Rambo see. had a big catch, and it was the first time yep. I'd seen him do anything positive since he had that tip ball that ended up as yep. an interception against Kansas State. Um, but I guess, like, real quick, the best scenario for Oklahoma, like, if you're an OU fan and you're just, like, OU, if all if they went out, they have to be in the playoff. Their best scenario, in my opinion, outside of, like, because Oregon and Utah, they go to the, they are each playing on the road in, against the Arizona schools. I can't remember who's playing who. But, of course, like, if one of them gets upset, then you want that team to eventually win the Pac-12 championship because that would help OU immensely. Right. But I think realistically... I Okay. I got a roll. I have to get on the radio at three with for Sam or one of them. I'm subbing in for. Okay. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Go ahead and do your thing, Rufus. Jim. Thank you, Rufus. All right. Appreciate you guys. See you, man. So, John. Yeah, I was going to say um, the best realistic scenario for me is if Oregon and Utah went out, and then Utah beats Oregon and OU wins out, because then you're picking between OU and and, and Utah mm-hmm. because Alabama, I. Th- they're done. Mac Jones, backup quarterback. They're not going to have the whole, well, Tua was hurt. Like, he's not coming back. So, Alabama, just they're not a playoff caliber team anymore. Um, if you're picking between OU and Utah, uh, one lost Big 12 champion, one lost Pac 12 champion, yes, Utah would have the win over Oregon, which is probably the best, that's going to be the best win. But in terms of everything else, game control, in terms of talent, in terms of top 25 wins, OU. Oh, he's going to have the advantage in that, in that perspective. It's just going to come down to do they really overvalue a win over Oregon, who may or may not be, I'm not going to say fraudulent, but when your best resume builder is a loss, what does that mm-hmm. say about you? Yeah, the, uh, I've watched Oregon a couple of times and been impressive. very impressed with, with their talent. They've, they've got some players on that team. And, then, and if you watch Utah, their defense is amazing. Their defense is consistent. They shut down everybody. Nobody gets anything on them. So, so there's reason to like those teams. But when you when you put it up put it up against what Oklahoma has done, start comparing resumes, and you start talking about top 25 wins, uh, Oregon's finishing slate is Arizona State and Oregon State. Utah's finishing slate is Arizona and Colorado. Those teams are all terrible. They've got no chance to build on what they've done. Meanwhile. Uh, you know, you've got in Oklahoma, you've got TCU, which is trying to get to a bowl game. I, I wouldn't say they're terrible, and it's probably regional bias. Um, people in the Pac-12 might say TCU is terrible, and I could get behind that. But th- we, th- they're better than a lot of people think they are, and Gary that's, Patterson, that's our perception of them. Gary Patterson could walk into the Pac-12 right now and, and be a top two, top three coach in that conference. No yeah, question. No, there's no question about it. Without um, even coaching then, his guys, obviously. And then you finished with the rivalry game against, like you said, a probably top twenty team in, in Oklahoma State. Um, I th- on the and road. then and then close that on the road, sure. And then close out with another win over Baylor. I don't think there's any question who has 
I mean, it's not even comparable at that point who has a better resume. So then it becomes beauty pageant. And I, I think there's a little bit of politics involved, too, in that Oklahoma has been to the playoff, uh, some under some dubious circumstances. You know, there were there, there was con- complaining about whether they belonged. And, you know, that, I thought they played well enough in their last two games that they did show that they belong. But the fact is they're 0-3 in playoff games, and the poor Pac-12 – Hasn't had anybody in the playoff. Uh, you know, Washington, they got their doors blown off, but Oregon made it to the championship game. So And they lost to a third-string quarterback. Lost to Ohio State. But point being, it might be, you know, politically speaking, it might be time to get some quote-unquote new blood in there. It might be time to get the Pac-12 uh, champion. And, and see that whether, their, whether their resume is better or not than Oklahoma. It's like Oklahoma's had their chance to be in the playoff. we got to spread this thing out a little bit. That, and if, if that's the metric... If that's what the playoff committee is is uh, trying to accomplish, then say it. Then just come out and say Oklahoma has not been impressive in the past in the playoff, and the Pac-12 needs a chance. Then it, say it. And they won't. You know why? Because oh, it's no. silly. Because it's comical. Because every season is different. You can't get, yeah. you can't have the mentality of well right. Oklahoma was in the playoff for the last blah blah blah, and they did X Y and Z. Like, it doesn't matter. Every team is different. Every season is different. Even if the players are predominantly the same, they've played a different schedule. There have been different injury factors. There's so Football is so reliant on zillions of different factors. That's why it's such a fun sport to watch. Well, it, all I'm advocating is, is whatever your motivation is, whatever your agenda is, if you're on the playoff committee, just say it. Because I asked Rob Mullen specifically. Guys, I asked him specifically. And I love this question, by uh, the way, John. The, Bravo. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a two-parter. Okay, first is uh, Oklahoma is is schizophrenic in their wins. They're they're gutting out wins. How do you compare that with what Alabama you know goes up against a a losing rec- team with a losing record and blows them out? Oregon goes up against a team with a losing record and blows them out. Utah goes up against a team with a losing record and blows them out. Meanwhile, Oklahoma is beating ranked teams. They're barely beating ranked teams, but they're winning these games. His response was. That's why we watch the games. That's why the staff gives us the resources and tools to be able to watch the games so that when you come in fully prepared, we know who they're playing, we know the records of what they're playing, and uh, we get to watch the games and see how they play out. To which I said, okay, so are you, are you saying, or is it safe to assume that beating a ranked team is better than beating a team with a losing record? There was about a two-second pause, and he was like, uh, well, yeah, beating a ranked team, yeah, absolutely, that's that's." Better than beating an unranked team, for sure. <laughs> okay, just checking, because that's that's what my question is. Just checking. And uh, I'll be dang if that thing didn't take off on Twitter when I tweeted that out. It's got yeah. like a thousand likes or something. So it's, um, people, it's people get behind. Absolutely. People get behind uh, maybe somebody calling out the absurdity. I yeah. felt like when I, when I got off the conference call, because these things are populated with a lot of smart people, a lot of smart sports writers and broadcasters out there. I felt like when I got off the conference call that people on the other end of the phone on the conference might have been thinking, what kind of dumbass question is that? No, no, that's my point. Uh, you you got to boil this thing down and ask the dumbass question to get the response that you that you, you need. Because he's saying beating ranked teams is better than beating unranked teams, but yet the playoff committee comes out with their rankings and it shows just the opposite. Exactly. Beating, beating, having game control against a garbage team is better than going on the road in conference and beating a ranked team that's undefeated by three points. Yeah. Two I different mean, things. The committee's, so I'm calling them out. The committee's playing stupid games, John, so they're going to get stupid, they're going to get stupid questions. <laughs> I mean, yep. and it, 
I wish you could have asked even another follow-up. Okay, is beating ranked teams but barely beating them worse than losing to a ranked team? But at least it was a close loss. <laughs> because, like I jokingly said this on Twitter last night after the, the rankings came out, if only Baylor had scheduled Florida and lost... If they had scheduled yeah. Florida and lost to them by like I don't know 10, 7, like 10, 13 points, and then went on to just do the same thing that they did up until the uh, Oklahoma game, they would have been top ten, no, no freaking question, yeah. according to what this committee has done. And that's that, what to I me, said. According to what the committee is saying, with Florida and uh, Auburn having two losses, being three spots ahead of Baylor, clearly Baylor doesn't have enough quality losses. Baylor needs more quality losses. They were undefeated at the time, so that they were holding that against them. They haven't lost anybody good. Yeah, and that's, you, that's just I can't I can't get people tell me, guys, this is what the playoff committee does every year. No, no, I've been I've been covering this too. I don't have the data in front of me. I can't compare week by week by week, but I can tell the tenor of this thing is this committee is uh, is I bet. Listen, Joe Castiglione is one of the smartest people I know. I bet he walks out of that thing every Sunday night and goes. What the hell am I doing here? What 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 is? Who are these people I'm sitting next to? You know, but he's a smart guy. He doesn't need to be subjected to um, endless a week weekend after weekend of stupidity. Yeah, and you know, if if you're a fan of college football like I am, the main reason probably why that you're a, a fan of college football is because the the regular season is so much fun. If you are a fan of a team like I'm a fan of OU, um, you don't necessarily expect them to go undefeated every year, but with the talent and the schedule, they have the potential to do so in most cases. And so when they go, when they start off four or five and zero, oh, and then they lose a game, initially you're distraught. Initially you're just like the season's over, but then the sun rises and then you start playing out scenarios in your head. Okay. Oh, you just has to win out. And they typically do that. And then X, Y, and Z has to happen. That, that, that keeps you involved in the entire sport it makes it so much more exciting when Ohio State's on the road um, on, on a night game against Purdue, and then they lose. You are glued to your TV because you would otherwise not give a damn about Ohio State playing Purdue on the road. It's so fun. But when we set this precedent of, well, a quality loss is still very important because it shows that you can kind of play with a team that we think is better because they have X amount of NFL talent, and then you just go ahead and feast on a soft-ass schedule the rest of the way, we'll reward you for that. If you're going to start rewarding teams for losing, then go watch the NFL because you can have a 9-7 and team backdoor their way into the playoffs and then mm-hmm. go to the Super Bowl. The Pittsburgh Steelers did it 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. The, I like the NFL. I love college football more, and it's because of the regular season. And if we're going to start setting this precedent that, you know, quality losses are better than ranked wins, then get the f- out of here. That's listen. That's something that I love about college football too, and that's why we don't need playoff bra- uh, bracket creep. We don't need an eight-team or a sixteen-team playoff. You're, you're telling me that you're going to make everybody happy with a with a eight-team playoff or a sixteen-team playoff? You want the American Athletic Conference champion in there because they they went nine and three. You know, three lost teams are now are now in, in your mind are worthy of of competing for a national championship. Boy, college football, you only get twelve a year. You only get twelve a year, and if you can't go twelve and zero, you damn sure better go eleven and one. If you go ten and two, sorry, there's always next year. Yeah. If you go nine and three, 
go sit down, shut up, and get better. You know, that's the way I feel about college football. Yeah, you better be perfect or damn near perfect if you're going to say that you deserve to be a national champion. Yeah, in the day, I feel like it's really easy. If you just if you watch the games, which is what they claim that they do, but, I mean, they honestly don't have time to do so because if you're watching a shortened version or just the highlights or an accelerated version, you're missing so many intricate details that help tell the story about the team that you're watching. Like that, that's it's just true. That's why you don't like the 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 red zone, huh? You don't like the uh, ESPN red zone and all that. <laughs> you just you miss fine details, is all I'm saying. But oh yeah, I feel like if you watch a handful of games every week, week to week, month to month, it's really simple to tell the good teams, the the championship level teams, because there's really only four to five in any year. If you get past five, if you get down to six, seven, eight, they're not going to be they're not going to be a national title contender. But it's so easy mm-hmm. to tell the good teams from the okay teams to the bad teams, and this whole committee thing just makes it so much more difficult than it should be. Um, it's clear who the best teams are. If everything plays out the way it should play out, it's clear who that fourth team should be. It's it's just silly to me, John and. Uh, I don't know. I don't want committees anymore. Committees have never worked. Yeah. Just read a history book. They have never, ever worked. Well, no, that's true. Um, there's been, uh, I, I, like you, I mean, I'm surprised to hear you say that. I, I always appreciated the BCS for what it was. It gave us I loved a, it. It was fun and it was easy. And you know why that we have a committee? Because freaking ESPN couldn't control the narrative anymore because it was outside of their control. They wanted, They would want certain teams in the national championship. They couldn't control a computer. So they lobbied to what Rufus said. This is a big cash grab. It's it's a ratings thing. Yeah. It's good for ESPN. That's why this is mm-hmm. th- that's why it is the way it is. Hey, Disney didn't get to be this big by uh, letting other people do work. Um, Disney is Disney's taking over the world. Disney Plus seventy million dollars in the first day. Um, I, I, thought, I can't say enough about it. I, I loved it. Love me some Disney Plus. Now. I thought monopolies were illegal, John. No, no, not in uh, not modern day college football for sure. Um, so the, the, I thought the BCS did a fantastic job of, you know, for for forty years before this, before the BCS showed up, or fifty years, you just had literal guesswork as to well, we're contracted to this bowl. Well, if we win our bowl game, then we should be national champs. But we're contracted to that bowl. So if we win our bowl game, we should be national champs. You had that discussion every year. And it was fun to discuss, but when you did have a split national champion, it was like, you know, the whole kissing your sister thing, which grosses me out. I, I literally <laughs> makes me throw up in my mouth when people say, oh, ties are like kissing your sister. No, a tie is not like kissing your sister. Uh, kissing your sister is like kissing your sister. And stop saying that because you're creeping me out. Well, it depends on if you're the one who's forcing the tie or you have to settle for the tie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But but when you're talking about splitting a national championship, that was the year. Those were the years where it was just like, okay, this just kind of feels wrong. We need something else. And then they brought the BCS in and said, this is the way we're going to do it. And at least we could agree on who we could disagree on. Yeah. You know, at least at least there was a one versus two at the end of the season versus a one's over here and a two's over there and a three's over there and a four's over there and oh five's probably got a, a makes a good case too you know if everybody wins then we're going to have chaos no it, dude it was one versus two and however they arrived there the the bcs formula changed literally every year so that but at least they didn't move the goalposts like the like the playoff committee is doing yeah. on a week to week to week basis we knew you could predict 
you could predict exactly what the BCS was going to do because they told you this is what we're looking at. These are the data that we're considering. These are the metrics that we are studying, and we're going to apply these when the rankings come out on Sunday. Then you knew exactly what was going to happen. This one is like, uh, game control is pretty cool, but uh, quality losses are awesome too. Uh, yeah. Top 25 wins, yeah, those work for this team, but top 25 wins don't work for that team. It's, it's all it's all getting to be kind of bull crap. It's garbage. It's, it's garbage. And, you know, if given the choice... And maybe it's because it, it benefits OU, so I'll admit my bias there. But honestly, given the choice between the, the playoff committee and the old days, you know, prior to the BCS, where teams, like you said, were contractually obligated to go to the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl, I would rather have it that way because at least it just at least it would it would just help the conversation because this isn't healthy conversation. This is people pissed off, and yes, people were pissed <laughs> off about the BCS. There were two years that I can think of right now that people would probably be pissed off uh, 2001, 2003, and maybe 2008 if you're a Texas fan. But you know what? Screw you. That's your fault. You shouldn't have lost to Texas Tech. Um, it just it helps the healthy conversation of, no, my team is. No, my team is. It's, it's just fun. It's why college football is fun. This committee is stupid, John. Um, it, yeah, and if we go to eight teams, that conversation pretty much goes away or is at least um, diluted to the point where nobody cares. Yeah. You know, if, if Hey, we won our conference. We're going to the playoff. Really, you won your conference. You're nine and three, and you won your conference, and you're going to the playoff. I feel congratulations. I feel like you could easily put some stipulations on that, so it's not just easily. You're not just automatically into it. So, like, I feel like if there are multiple two lost teams, which hardly ever happens, but if there are a ton of two lost teams, then you can move the goalposts and let teams of you know champion conference champions in. But if it's like most seasons where there's an undefeated team, there might be two, and then everybody else is a one-loss team. If you have two or three losses, just because you win the Pac-12, you're out. Sorry. I feel like it's that simple. It, it's kind of it's kind of weird and kind of Sounds rigid. like a lawsuit to me. It's not. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. It's a freaking playoff every single week in college football. If you've lost two or three times to Cal, if you've lost to uh, South Carolina, who's dreadfully terrible then i'm sorry you lost you lost your chance oh you lost their chance they can play their way potentially back into it but um i'm sorry that's just the way it goes yeah no you're right but yeah well john uh, let's just uh go ahead and end that there um All right. uh, well I, I guess really quick because we haven't really okay. talked about tcu we won't Ooh. won't be there yeah exactly won't be there this long <laughs> because of this entire conversation because you know, Bedlam's going to come up the next week. It's big for OU, the Big 12 Championship. OU just has to win one of these next two games, and they're in the Big 12 Championship. I mean, are we doing a disservice um, looking, potentially looking past TCU? Because, I mean, over the last few years, OU's had pretty simple success with them. It seems like Lincoln Riley has had Gary Patterson's defensive number. Lincoln Riley's offenses have put up big numbers against TCU since he's been here in 2015. Um I mean, they've got talent, no question. Since they put in their backup quarterback, th- their offense has looked not anemic. And, I mean, OU fans should understand, if you follow recruiting, Jalen Rager, OU really wanted him, Lincoln Riley really wanted him. He's one of the best receivers in the country. Uh, the potential for the secondary to get blown uh, the top off is is certainly up there because he's that good. But, I mean, are we doing a disservice to TCU? Or, I mean, should OU's performance against Iowa State be enough to beat this TCU team? Yeah, I think we're doing a little disservice. Um, 
talking about how big the win was at Baylor and, um, you know, because Baylor was just trampled underfoot. Have I already used that one? <laughs> no, that was great. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can't, we put you, so much. You can't use custard pie. This is no, the kids, no, listen, definitely ki- not. kids listen to this podcast. Or the lemon song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, we, we are harping a lot on Baylor because it was so dramatic. And, you know, I was down there in the end zone when the game ended. And clearly, I mean, dancing days are here again for the Sooners. <laughs> right? So there's a, there's a big party going on. And um, there's still games left to play. It's like, you know what? The clock has not struck midnight yet, guys. The party, the party's still going on. Um, there's two more games left to play, so you, you hope that uh, the work that Oklahoma did, I guess, uh, in the in the week leading up to the TCU game, you, you hope that the players are not as full on, on feasting on Baylor as the media and the fans seem to be, because there's a couple of numbers that stand out. Oklahoma's all time in this series is 14 to five. That's not a big deal. They're seven and one against TCU in the Big Twelve era. In the last three meetings between this team, Oklahoma is averaging a win of forty-four to twenty-one. So, historically speaking, this is a year. This is a, a game that Oklahoma should win and should win comfortably. I mean, TCU—they've got statistically the Big Twelve's best defense, but they're five and five for a reason. They're starting a freshman quarterback. There's a lot to like about Max Duggan, but he's not a particularly um, aggressive deep ball thrower just yet in his career. He's had a couple of moments these last couple of games where he has hit the deep ball a couple of times. So that might be something that, you know, Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and the OU safeties for sure have their eyes on. But I think on the whole, no, there's a reason that we're selling TCU short. They're an 18 point underdog. They're five and four. They're only three and four, sorry, five and five. They're only three and four in conference play. For a reason, and that is because they are a team right now with a lot of heart, a lot of good defense, but limited talent. Yeah, and I, I jokingly said it on Twitter following the Baylor win, but if OU goes into Saturday night and plays four quarters of good football, it'll be the first time that OU's done that uh, since the West Virginia game. I mean, they did not play four quarters of good football against Baylor, uh, Iowa State, and definitely Kansas State, so... Um, they've got they've got that to look forward to. Hopefully, they take care of business. But John, I've rambled on far too long. It feels well. Let me get to my let me let me get to my stat before we sign off. My stat of the week. I snuck in uh, a Led Zeppelin song title right there. I don't know if you caught it. No, oh, I missed it. Ramble on. Ramble on. Well done. I like it. <laughs> so, I do and, ramble and, uh, a lot, so it's easy. There you go. Yeah, that's why I missed it. Uh, in a, in the four quarters. Uh, the middle four quarters against Iowa State and Baylor. Okay, so the third and fourth quarter against Iowa State and the first and second quarter against Baylor. OU was outscored 58-17. to 17. But in the other four quarters of those two games, OU outscored Baylor and, and um, Iowa State 59-14. to 14. That's two, two, two different things there. That's two things that are completely incongruent. 58-17 lose, 59-14 win. Against the same two teams. I, I I cannot figure this team out. I asked all the players. I asked all the coaches. You can find my column at thefranchiseok.com. They tried to answer it. You go through there and read those quotes. They tried to answer my questions. They don't know. They don't have any idea. They're just like, oh, I think it's that's just the nature of football. Bro, that's not the nature of football. I've never seen a team go 58-17 for one one. You know, stretch and fifty nine fourteen for another stretch against the same two teams. So no, there's there's no answers. Uh, it's it's really it's maddening. 
And uh, all I can say is Sooner fans, I, I think Lincoln Riley, and if he's able to keep hang on to Alex Grinch, I think that it will be a national championship in the future. You just got to believe your time is going to come. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh um good times bad times OU fans have had their share uh, and uh, I don't want to I don't want to kill Led Zeppelin any more than I've already killed them because I certainly killed uh Jimmy Page's riffs on Saturday night I had a few few too many beers to drink it was sloppy but hey Jimmy Page is kind of a sloppy guitar player but that's why I love him uh John on the real thank you uh for joining me and shout out to Rufus wherever he is doing his radio stuff for the Triple M Ranch on 107.7 The Franchise, 107.9 in Tulsa. Um, like John said, read all of his stuff on thefranchiseok.com. Uh, I did great work, uh, not just for the franchise, okay, but Sporting News. Retweeted that article from yesterday. It was really awesome. It's always awesome to read about OU coming back and kicking some ass with some Sooner magic. Even though I didn't see it live, I was fully aware and paying attention to it. But uh, John, thank you so much for jumping on. Uh, we will talk to you guys later this weekend. Uh, final home game. Everybody show out. The weather's going to be awesome. So uh, shout out to everybody for listening. Thank if, you so much. If you, if you have bad seats, you got to climb all the way to the top. It's going to feel like a stairway to heaven. <laughs> no stairway, John. I That's... went over. I went too far. Didn't I? <laughs> no, no stairway. Oh, well. Um, Achilles last stand. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Catch all of John Hoover's work at thefranchiseok.com. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. And be sure to catch all of his radio call-ins throughout the week on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast. All in. Inside OU. OKC82. And intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.